All right. I got it. I, what are you laughing? So, Don't laugh at me. I just no, I'm laughing at this thing. I just Googled. I was trying to find out what the similarities and differences between Open Graph and RDF. And so I looked up OG versus RDF. And apparently, um, OG is also an acronym for original gravity. And RDF is an acronym for real degree of fermentation, which are both used in beer brewing. <laughs> so that seems okay. particularly on brand. <laughs> Break out your wireframes and heat up those Git repos. We're ready to tackle topics ranging from accessibility to front-end design, user experience, and beyond. You're listening to the Drunken UX Podcast with your hosts, Michael Feenan and Aaron Hill. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us on the Drunken UX Podcast. This is episode number 102, and we're going to be talking about what GraphQL is all about. And joining us this evening is going to be our special guest, Jason Ball. I'm your host, Michael Feenan, and on the other microphone is my uh, semi-eared, half-eared, uh, <laughs> headphone challenge. This has been a week for tech failure for me. <laughs> does, does, does the dishwasher count as tech, though? Oh, I mean, I, I guess perhaps... Yeah, it's pretty old fashioned unless it's got Bluetooth. Bluetooth uh, dishwasher, anybody? <laughs> they have smart dishwashers now that connect to Wi Fi and Google Assistant and stuff. And like, yeah. I don't know, man. Alexa microwaves? Yeah, I don't I don't want my appliances on the Internet of Things. I just, maybe I'm old fashioned, but I don't want that. <laughs> uh, and then I, I have had uh, issues with Audacity uh, ever since I updated uh, the current version of Ubuntu. It's just issues with the pulse audio sound. And then my microphone is only coming, the monitor output's only coming in through the left ear. Um, so, and this all happened within the span of like three days. So it's been a really intense week. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. We're the least important on that list. Uh, <laughs> y- y- I'm going to make you limp along because yeah. that's uh, when confronted by challenges. That is yeah. what we do. But at least we have... Uh, some frosty adult beverages to keep us uh, <laughs> comforted. And Aaron, I know you have something. I per per your recommendation last episode, I picked up a bottle of the Glenmorangi Lasanta. Um, Lasanta, yeah. And I, as you can see, I, I've had a little bit of it. Um, but was I fair in my description? Of yeah, it? yeah, it's good. Uh, I I think I still like the Balvany a little more, but this has been good so far, though. So your next is just to uh, get the uh, Quinto Ruban and mm-hmm. try that one. That'll be yeah. see see how those two compare, sure. right? I uh, I'm off the Scotch trip this evening, mm-hmm. but I am still in the bottle with uh, the Ronza Kappa, uh, the 23 Solera. Uh, fantastic rum. Um, it it is rum you drink like Scotch. It is it's sweet. <laughs> it's got that caramely brown sugar. Nice hard hit to it. Um, I needed some dessert tonight. It's getting cold, mighty cold outside. So it's like, that's a nice way to end my evening, both sweet and warm at the same time. (laughs) Uh, As I said at the start of this uh, whole intrigue, this is episode number 102. And by this point, you should know that this is made possible by our friendly sponsors over at Tella. Tella is a Great service you can go check out for doing screen captures, but not it's not just like your normal screen capture software. It captures what you're showing in browser along with any audio and video, and it gives you a really straightforward editing uh, interface 
to organize all of that to create, whether that's presentations, uh, teaching material, or uh, any kind of training documentation for a website or, or a platform or piece of software. If you want to check them out, run by their website at tella.com slash ducks. That is tella, T-E-L-L-A dot com slash D-U-X. <laughs> not the Mighty Ducks, not D-U-C-K-S. <laughs> but we are talking about uh, GraphQL tonight, and I thought, who better to have on the show than Mr. WP GraphQL himself, Jason Ball. He is a the principal, the or a principal. Is, is there only one principal? No, a a, a big organization, he, he, yeah. <laughs> he is a principal software engineer at WP Engine. He's also formerly a software engineer for Gatsby JS. Um, but more importantly, he is the creator of the WP GraphQL plugin for WordPress. Jason, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Okay, GraphQL. We're diving right in. So GraphQL is what <laughs> what is so you're like you're somebody uh, gives you a call and says hey we're having a conference and we're talking about like application development and apis and we would love for somebody to come in and talk about what graphql is but the these are students like it's at a university for all of their like technical uh, uh design students how do you explain to them what is graphql in kind of that very tiny nutshell Sure. Yeah. So uh, GraphQL is uh, the word GraphQL stands for graph query language. So it's a it's a language to uh, specify what types of data you want from an API and get a response matching the type of data that you asked for. So so if I've used like MySQL, right, like that, the, yep. the SQL, that QL feels the query language. Yeah. Common. Yeah. Yeah, so basically, in simple in simple terms, it's a way to get data out of a system. Um, uh, there's obviously lots of ways to get data out of systems, though. Um, and so, one some unique things with GraphQL, um, it gives you one entry point into this graph of data, if you will. And uh, so, whatever whatever your system can expose, it describes that in a schema, what's called a schema. So you describe what's possible to be asked for. So in, we'll talk about WordPress, like WordPress has posts like blog posts. It has pages, it has users, it has media items like images and things like that. So it describes these types of data in a schema. And then the user gets to make GraphQL queries, uh, graph query language queries uh, to specify what from that schema they want to ask for. Some different APIs like REST full APIs would be like resource an endpoint per resource. Like you would have a specific endpoint to get posts, a specific endpoint to get pages, a specific endpoint to get images. Right. GraphQL gives you one entry point, one endpoint, and then the user says, "Okay, I want posts and pages and users maybe all all at once, or I want just posts and on posts I want just these three fields." Yeah, um, yeah. So it gives the control to the to the consumer. So even though the GraphQL name sounds more like SQL, the database interfacing language, uh, yeah. GraphQL is closer to REST in terms of like its purpose, right? That's what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there there was some inspiration. Uh, the creators of GraphQL. So Facebook engineers at Facebook created GraphQL to solve some problems they were actually having with using RESTful APIs. Uh, with the mobile application for Facebook. And so it, there is some inspiration from SQL. REST APIs, 
give you data in JSON over endpoints, so it's resources uh, and you'll get a payload, but you as the consumer have very little control in a REST API over what you get. There are, that that's not universally true. There are REST APIs that allow you to send arguments to specify what fields you want. But in general, the server has most of the control and the consumer is just, hey, please let me have something and you just wait for what you get. Yeah, I think uh, maybe here's uh, something I'm thinking of. I've got a, a non-WordPress content management system that I use and it has a content API that is a RESTful API. But it's problematic for me because as I, I if I need to use that to like extract data or something, I have to, of course, expose it. And it's an all or nothing kind of thing for me. Once it's exposed and I say, hey, give me this stuff that I need from inside of your content structures, it says, okay, here's all the stuff. And it's like, oh, wait, you're exposing fields that like, no, they're important. I need that data, but I wouldn't want like anybody being able to query those particular items. Like maybe it's got business logic associated with it or like proprietary knowledge or something attached, but it doesn't distinguish. It's just like you asked for, you know, this piece of content, I'm giving it to you. Here's all the stuff. <laughs> yeah. that'll, that'll, that's probably uh, just uh, regardless of the API technology that can, that can be a problem in GraphQL too, right? Like you can, GraphQL itself is the transport layer, the mechanism that says, here's what users are allowed to ask for, and here's how the server will respond. You can design GraphQL APIs to expose data you shouldn't expose, right? Um, and same with REST, you can uh, you can expose REST endpoints that have too much data. Um, so that, that's probably an implementation detail. GraphQL itself is not going to necessarily prevent you from exposing things. Right, right. You, shouldn't it'll it'll do what you tell it to basically as both the designer and the, the consumer yeah that was the frustrating thing that i had with the uh the graphql service that i complained about uh, a couple episodes ago <laughs> um and so jason tell me um if if i request like a blob say i have um i'm just gonna make up some resources here I have like users and like uh, memberships and like um, I don't know like assets or something, right? And and I make a request to get back those three things. Um, is it going to give me back an array or like a collection where the users, memberships, and assets are all like in parallel, like within the same, like like with no hierarchy at all, just the same like flat collection? Um, and like, is the, is the way that I'm supposed to get, like, if I want to know, okay, like for this user, like what assets does this user have? Do I need to iterate through the collection and then look at each individual item and see like if it matches and then gather it up or, or was this API designed poorly? <laughs> yeah. Uh, could, could be a little bit of both. <laughs> um, so, so one thing with GraphQL, very much like any REST API too, right? Like it, a lot of it is up, up to the implementers on how they implement the technology. Sure. So GraphQL doesn't, doesn't the technology itself doesn't specify how you design your schema. Mm -hmm. So you can have a schema that is as simple as one single field, like a hello field that returns the word world, right? Sure. So you have a hello world API that can be your entire GraphQL API, mm -hmm. right? 
probably not a useful one. Uh, <laughs> but but GraphQL itself says like uh, if you're going to expose this, you have to expose it in a standard way. You have to say what type of data your field is going to return. In that case, you'd have to specify it's going to be a string. Mm -hmm. And then users always know anytime I ask for that field, I'm going to get a string back. Right. So it's a contract between the server and, and the client. That said, uh, it obviously can get more complicated than that. So uh, there's a specification in the GraphQL ecosystem called the relay specification. Mm -hmm. And this this is a kind of a standard opinion on how to design schemas. So if you've ever messed with a GraphQL schema and seen terms like edges and nodes, I'm not sure okay. if the API you worked with had that terminology. I don't remember. So if you were frustrated, part of it could have been maybe lack of familiarity, lack of documentation. There was definitely that. It could that. have been poor API design too. Yeah. Um, it's also possible I was yeah. just querying it wrong, but the documentation wasn't very good. So um. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like one, one example for like W in WP GraphQL, if we think like WordPress is used for a lot of websites. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and I, and if you break <laughs> down like, yeah, 43% of the web. Literally dozens. But, but if you consider like, I don't know, a homepage of a website, you would have probably, you'd have some general data about the website, like the title of the website and the logo. And then you typically are going to have some sort of navigation menu with like a list of navigation menu items. And then you probably have, let's say it's a, a blog again. So the homepage would have the menu, the logo, the title of the site, then a list of blog posts. Mm -hmm. The blog is going to have the title of the blog, the date, the description, a link to the individual post, mm -hmm. maybe an image, and then the author's name and maybe avatar or something. Sure. So like we're talking, there's a dozen resources here, right? You're talking, you got settings of the site, you got menus, menu items, uh, posts, images connected to the post and the user connected to the post. So you could do that all in one GraphQL request. So you can you can say, I want the menu with the menu items. I want the post with their author and their featured images and the author's avatar, which is even another resource. Mm -hmm. So you do that all in one single WP GraphQL request, where with REST, you'd have to do like, I don't know, probably 100 different uh, network requests. I, I've designed, I've done REST API endpoints before where like you would, if you query like posts, like you can have, you can have it include the comments as part of the same request. Um, I think the difference though is that it sounds like GraphQL is better for the user deciding how they want the data to yeah. be retrieved, whereas with REST is designed designed more by the API manager, like whoever is managing the API. Yep. They have they sort of pre decide if you want this resource, this is the stuff we can give you back. Um, and it's yep. like more tightly scoped, whereas it sounds like GraphQL is a lot more uh, kind of like freeform. Yeah, yeah, it puts a uh, yeah, uh, it puts more of the control in the consumer's uh, mm -hmm. hands to specify exactly what they want. Um, and cool. in in response, in in turn, it usually leads to speed improvements. Because um, mm -hmm. with REST, if if you only need let's say the ID and the title of a for a list of posts. And the post has 400 fields on it. Mm. In a REST API, you might be waiting for 400 fields to be downloaded when all you care about is the two that you need. Um, right. So in GraphQL, you specify, hey, I just want the ID and the title. And then the the server only has to process that, mm -hmm. get it from the database, you know, send it to you. So the request response time alone is fast. And then any processing on the server is going to be faster too. Yeah. 
your payload smaller, you're making fewer yeah. HTTP requests, like everything, all the transit time of everything going around trip is, is less. Yeah. I was going to say one, one, one thing I love too about it is with the rest API, if something breaks down the road in your application, that's consuming your rest API. It's hard to know what changed. Cause like when you're looking at your code, like let's say you jump into code base, like maybe somebody else authored and you see, Oh shoot, this thing is broken over here. I see they were getting this resource from this endpoint. You have to go figure out how that endpoint used to behave yeah. and how it behaves today. Or with GraphQL, you the whoever wrote the code wrote a query that is very explicit. They said, "I want the posts, I want the ID and the title." Mm. If for some reason the server isn't sending the title anymore, you at least know what the original developer. Maybe it was even you two weeks ago, but you know <laughs> what the original developer wanted from the API. So it takes a little bit of guesswork. You can start troubleshooting immediately. Oh, one of these two fields they asked for isn't behaving the way it used to. Mm-hmm. Now I can troubleshoot that versus, oh, they were asking for posts. Posts have 400 fields. One of them isn't working. Which one was it? Why is this yeah. different? You know, what changed? Um, so it's the implicit rest or a lot of APIs like rest are implicit because you just say, I want this resource server. Give me whatever you have. Mm-hmm. GraphQL is like, tell me exactly what you want. This has a, like, if I squint my eyes a bit, this feels a little bit like the difference between static typing and duct typing, whereas, like, a REST yeah. API would be duct typed and GraphQL yeah. would be static typed. And duck, yes. duck, uh, duck goose. <laughs> uh, duck is in, yeah, like, REST a, API would be, like, duck. the any type or whatever. Right. Any you'd say, type any, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, good luck. I know there's a lot of I I, I don't want to digress heavily, um, but like that is like static typing versus duct typing is um, like one of the Pepsi duct versus taping. <laughs> duct taping, yes. Sorry, I, yeah. I couldn't resist. Yeah. I'm 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 distracting. You. <laughs> uh, it's sort of the, like the Pepsi versus Coke or P- PC versus Mac of the developer world. Um, like people who I, I'm I'm someone who very much enjoys duct typing and um, duct type languages, and so when I hear people like, you know, bad mouth and duct type because they like static type. I'm just like, I don't know, man. Like we just, we solve our problems in different ways. (laughs) So this is all, this is API driven. This is data driven. So I need to go out and like, do I need like special NPM packages in my project to use GraphQL or like, is it something that's just there for free? Like what's, what's sort of the interface to that? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, so we'll, we'll, let's talk about it in terms of WordPress again. So if you've installed WP GraphQL, which is a, a free open source plugin for WordPress, you install this into your GraphQL or into your WordPress, you have a GraphQL endpoint. Anything that can make a network request to that endpoint can talk with the API. So you can go in your browser, type in yoursite.com slash GraphQL, and you, you'll get data. Right, and then you can type queries into the query string of your browser, even, and specify data like, "Hey, I want just post their ID and their title," and in your browser you can get data back. Um, you could do a curl request in your terminal to a GraphQL API and get data back. JavaScript clients are probably the more the most common consumer of GraphQL APIs. Um, probably JavaScript and like native mobile applications. So if you are going to be building a JavaScript website uh, or application or whatever and want to communicate with the GraphQL API, you can do it with 
standard fetch APIs, right? That can make a network request. Um, there are libraries though that help make the communication to GraphQL API easier. So a uh, popular one is called Apollo, Apollo Client. And you can use this in JavaScript uh, applications. It will uh, make it a little bit easier to communicate to the server. It'll do the fetch for you. It'll set the headers for you. But then it nice. also does caching for you. It's smart enough to know that you already have that data and will skip the network request the second time. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of libraries that try and make things easier to use GraphQL APIs, but anything that can make a network request should be able to work with GraphQL API. Can I get my data back as XML if that's what I need? Is it uh, dependent on a, passing a parameter or is it set? Uh, most APIs are, that I know of are going to return JSON. It's pretty much a standard. GraphQL doesn't enforce it. Uh, you can return whatever you want. It's pretty standardized that it's going to be JSON, though. So, yeah, so if you're building, you know, a JavaScript app or something like that, you mentioned fetch. As long as you can make a fetch and yep. you can work with JSON, you're good to go, even though this is like a, a whole different query language. It's all that. It's like, but that's just syntax inside your yeah. query at that point. Mm -hmm. Let, let's go ahead and pivot then into let's talk about WordPress specifically, because much like uh, uh, anything else, a lot of people's first touch point with, let's call it complex web development or more advanced web development will frequently be in the WordPress space. So this notion of, hey, I'm learning some JavaScript and I'm going to plug it into an a, a dot Ajax with jQuery or do my dot fetch. Sometimes the first time people do that, it's against something in WordPress. Um, so in this, let's let's talk about WP GraphQL and the plugin explicitly. How long ago did this roll out? Like how long has this been a thing? And this is just, I'm just curious about it. Yeah, I, I so I started the project almost five years ago. It was Thanksgiving week of 27 or 2016 um, is when I started the project. Uh, I was working at a newspaper at the time and we, we had like a network of, a hundred or something sites across the U S and at the time 30 or so were on WordPress. Um, and we did a lot of content syndication. So one newspaper would publish breaking news or whatever, and we would need to syndicate that article to other newspapers right. across the web. That raises a, a quick question for me. So you're syndicating content is, is GraphQL read only? Or is like, so is it the kind of situation where syndication means the other people have to pull it and publish it or can GraphQL be used to push stuff as well yeah. or, or rather yeah. even put stuff to, cause that's maybe the other, yeah. that's the better example, right? With rest, I could do a put request or a post request, or a delete request. that results in something yeah. getting published somewhere. Does, does GraphQL do that? Or is that a, a distinction? Yeah. Yeah. So GraphQL has uh, three, three root interactions you can do. You can do queries, which is the most common one. You can ask for data. You can do mutations, which is write data back. Uh, and it works in a very similar way. The schema will be defined what mutations are possible. Like in WordPress, it'd be like create post, update post, delete post, yeah, things like that. And uh, yeah, so you can create mutations and queries. So mutations typically change something in the site, like create data or update data or delete right. data. 
queries typically just return data. They don't usually write data. And then there's a third thing called subscriptions, which is very unique. Um, you can subscribe to data. Um, WP GraphQL doesn't support this yet, um, but some GraphQL APIs do. And so subscriptions allow you to say, you can subscribe to an event in the system, and then you can specify what data you care about when that event happens. And then you'll get, you'll get a payload of data typically through a WebSocket connection whenever that event occurs. Wow. So you can you can subscribe like in WordPress when we support this for example you'll have uh, you'll be able to subscribe to something like create post right anytime a post is created you you the consumer will be able to specify that when a post is created you want the ID the title and maybe the author of the post right and if a post is created you'll get a payload with that data um it, the transport how it happens is up to the API. It's pretty standard that WebSockets transport subscriptions. You could do something like webhooks or whatever else you want. Though. That's what I was about to say. Is um, it, this sounds very much like a webhook is kind of what you're describing yeah. a little bit. So it's very similar. Tip, typical implementation is going to be a WebSocket, so it can be real time, basically. Um, but yeah, the, the actual transport of it doesn't matter. The What does matter is that the consumer can specify what event they care about and what what data down to the field they care about when that event happens. Um, and so I can subscribe to different fields than you for the same event. And we'll, we would get individualized payloads. So. Yeah, yeah. If all of this sounds familiar, at least in name, um, the, part of the reason was when we had uh, Cullen Mace on just a couple episodes back talking about Atlas Content Modeler, Atlas Content Modeler relies on GraphQL. That's part of what it exposes in the process of creating its uh, headless WordPress environments. Um, and so it's, you know, the, this whole thing, like you can use it for, for JavaScript, you can use it for headless. I'm curious though, what are the problems? And we've, we've kind of hit on this as we've gone in terms of like talking about round trip payloads, getting, you know, just the data you need, what what are the problems that GraphQL is solving though in WordPress over like the normal WordPress REST API that's just there and available? Yeah, um, yeah. So so one of the one of the common th themes in RESTful APIs is that you're simultane simultaneously overfetching and underfetching at the same time. So if you need data, we talked about like having to do nested resources. If you need like my example, you need uh, blog post, the author, and the images, right? Yeah. Uh, if I'm using REST API, I'm going to hit the post endpoint to get a list of posts. That's going to give me IDs of the author. Mm -hmm. So I have to go collect those IDs and then make round trip requests to the author endpoint or the user endpoint, whatever it is, and then get the user. And then I'm going to have to make subsequent requests to get the avatar for the user. And then also from my posts, I'm going to have to make a request to get the images right to the uh, media endpoint because I'm just going to get IDs like the rest resource is going to give me the post data, but then IDs of any connected resources. And then I, as the client, have to do these round trips. So just to get a list of 10 posts with uh, one image each and an author each, I'm going to have to make what is that? 31 requests or something i'm going to get <laughs> one request for to get my 10 posts 10 requests to get my 10 images 10 requests to get my 10 authors 10 requests to get the avatars of the authors 
So I just made 31 network requests to get a list of 10 posts with, and then if I want a hundred posts, now I'm making 301 requests. It solves that because I can write one query to say, I want a hundred posts or 10 posts. And on each post, I want the ID, the title, the date, the author, the author's name, the author's avatar, the post featured image and the URL and the caption or whatever. Each time I ask for the posts, I'm going to be getting all the fields the post has. If all I needed was the ID, the title, and the date, I'm getting a lot more stuff than I asked for or, right, or that I yeah. need, right? So I have to wait. I have to wait for that, even though I don't need it. I have to wait for it before I can even make my round trip to get the author. And then I have to wait for the whole author, which is going to have probably a lot of stuff I don't care for if I just need the name and the avatar. But I have to wait for the whole payload for the author just to get the ID of the avatar. And then I have to go ask for that. But wouldn't 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 you like I mean if you were if you're building the REST API for, for WordPress, for example, why wouldn't you just include those associated fields by default? Like I, I know you're saying like overfetching and underfetching simultaneously, but like I, I don't know, if I pulled a post resource, I would kind of expect to also get at the very least like the author metadata and post metadata you know what i mean yeah so so the wordpress does allow you to do what's called embed mm -hmm. in the rest api but then you get entire resources right mm -hmm. uh and so again you're even if you do that you're still overfetching, and you have to pay the price to wait for all that data to download and all the data to process so um and then if you wanted to go a step further that gets really difficult like if you wanted if you want to list the 10 posts and the author, but also the author's two most popular posts to put in their bio, for example. Mm. Like, if the REST API is saying, oh, I'm just going to include everything, where does it stop, right? Because um, if you're going to say, oh, we can include the related authors, of, you know, related authors to this post, but then also we want to include the post that this author has uh, written, you know, so the GraphQL API allows the client to specify those relationships and then stop where they want it to. Because and so, so yeah, you can you can ask for stuff like the most recent list that the the most recent post author has done, the popular post author has done. Like there can be connections from the author in the graph to post, but different ways, right? So can you have popular posts, AQ query. You could have recent posts. And so like the REST API, it's either gonna it's either gonna punish the clients that don't need all this information to benefit the clients that do need it all. Yeah. What's the level of scale where the performance increases become noticeable? Like I mean, Facebook is like Facebook, Twitter, all those big companies are like kind of anomalies, like in the amount of traffic throughput that they have. So like um hyper optimizing things like this make total sense for them. Um like our website gets, I think saying a fraction of Facebook's traffic would be very, very, very generous. <laughs> um, so like what, what's the level of scale where it starts to play out? I, I think you said it there, right? We get a, we get a fraction of, of the traffic. I also run a server that has, you know, a fraction of the RAM and CPU time mm -hmm. and all of that. Like yeah, we don't the have answer a server to the farm. question I think is like, <laughs> How how many resources is the site you're interacting with really have available? Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's let's take a site like fantasyweather.org. It says like a random. I don't know where I pulled that name out of, but it's something that just occurred to me randomly. Um, 
And let's imagine that this was set up to, you know, query uh, AccuWeather or, or one of these to like get current weather stats uh, and all of that. And let's say it really took off and a lot of other people were very interested in the fantasyweather.org product mm-hmm. and game. You've got two problems, right? One, how many calls are you making to AccuWeather's API? Mm-hmm. And I don't know if they have a GraphQL API or if it's just a standard RESTful API. Um, but then other, maybe you you say, I'm going to make an API for the site too so that people can show off scores and, and stats on other websites and how people are doing with their local weather forecasters. Um, this is all, I'm explaining this like everybody knows what I'm talking about. This goes back to literally season one. <laughs> so go back and listen to a lot of back catalog stuff. Um, but this this notion of, okay, so you're going to make an API for everybody to then pull stuff from you on top of it. How much can a droplet on DigitalOcean with one gig of RAM mm-hmm. and one virtual CPU take if you've got a thousand websites suddenly coming in and making these requests versus... That's what I was asking. Like, I, I know there's got to be some point where like the level of throughput starts mattering with like the optimization or the, the efficiency gained by using like the specificity of GraphQL. And I was just wondering like, if you knew like what order of magnitude will you start to see that? Yeah, it's, I, I, that's going to depend on so many variables. Um, yeah. Ultimately when you do a GraphQL request, you're just basically mapping to a bunch of functions, right? Mm-hmm. That go and do something. So it all depends on how that's behaving, but the fat, the, the fastest, the fastest API, regardless of GraphQL REST, is going to be the one that's not hitting your server at all, right? Mm-hmm. If it's cached, sure. right? Um, and so there, there's a, typically in REST APIs, a user will make a GET request to get data. Mm-hmm. First time it hits, it's going to obviously hit the server, mm-hmm. and then it'll be cached. Yeah. Um, GraphQL can be cached as well. It's a little more tricky to invalidate the caches mm-hmm. um, because with REST, you know, okay, this endpoint is this resource, which is also partly why REST APIs tend to return IDs for relationships instead of fully nested resources. Because if you if you do have nested resources, then to invalidate that cache, you have to know when any of those related resources mm-hmm. have changed as well. Um, so typically a REST API is going to going to just give you the resource, give you IDs to relationships, and then that individual resource can be cached. GraphQL, since you specify down to the field what you want, GraphQL can track the dependencies that are in that response and invalidate the cache based on anything that was in that response. So if you query for list of posts, then the authors and the images, that specific request can be invalidated when post authors or images are changed on the server, mm-hmm. right? So we can still invalidate that cache uh, because we know all of the resources that are included in it. Um, not every GraphQL server is going to be set up to be cached like that. Um, the, there's tooling in the WordPress space we're working on specifically around around this. Um, but the concept is, yeah, you you build your application to specify what you need in your application. The server is going to track those requests, figure out what data is important to those requests, and then track the corresponding events in WordPress to say, oh, we should invalidate this cache because that thing just changed. Typically, any API, you're going to want that layer of cache, though. Um, 
I would say it's probably that it's a trickier problem in GraphQL to cache. There are like startups that are trying to solve this generally. So like GraphCDN, for example, there's a startup that uh, you can put their CDN in front of your GraphQL API and you, it, it's basically a proxy for your API and it caches responses there. So then your client application is always getting data from a CDN instead of talking to your server. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a lot of so, signature management, right? Like, because since everybody can query for different stuff based on what's yeah. exposed, every signature is so different yep. um, in many cases mm-hmm. that, yeah, yeah. I, I see this as something like I, I was thinking about Lambda earlier, AWS Lambda. And like, I, I would envision abstracting even some of that out to a service like that, where I don't want it hitting my server directly. I'll yeah. let something like Lambda handle the individual requests yep. and abstract the data layer out of there mm-hmm. so that my little, my little tiny, you know, uh, $5 droplet at DigitalOcean <laughs> yep. isn't getting hammered you <laughs> exactly. know, over and over for <laughs> these kind of things if I get slash yeah. dotted or something. Yeah, so that that's kind of the trend we're seeing with GraphQL, right? Is like at that point, it shouldn't matter if you are on a five dollar box, right? Because most of the requests are going to be hitting a cache somewhere, and your server is not really going to end up seeing that much traffic. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you'd still have any uncached stuff, like if you had, like for example, the newspaper we worked at, we had eight thousand authors on one of the newspapers, right? So like we have to we have to support those users right which is all uncached stuff because they're mutating data they're writing data right so we had we had more concerns with that user base than we did like the public facing users that are largely querying un or querying cacheable data um but uh but yeah so i i would recommend no matter what api you're using the the cache layer graph cdn i think is a cool cool one we like i've explored uh integration with that um that's uh, from Max Stoiber. He, I don't know if you're familiar with like styled components in the React ecosystem. Mm-hmm. He yeah, co-created yeah. that, and so he's behind behind this. He was working at Gatsby for a little bit, and worked at GitHub for a little bit. I, and there's a bigger discussion here that is maybe good for a future date, which is how do you optimize anything server related yeah. and figuring out like, okay. Let's take, and I use DigitalOcean just because I use them so much. Like, I've got a $5 droplet. It's got 2 gigs of RAM, 50 gigs of storage. It's got a virtual CPU. How much traffic can it handle? Regardless, is it GraphQL? Is it REST API? Yeah. Whatever. Like, figuring out the math of, like, how many threads can MySQL support and PHP? And, like, how many, yeah. uh, how many uh, instances of these things can I spin up before it starts hurting? And that's, like that is an art unto itself calculating those kinds of things. And I think Aaron, to your point, like where is that limit? Like where will we see improvements or, 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 uh, uh, performance enhancements? It's going to come down to like, what does that math look like for the server you're Mm, on? And it's going to be so different for everybody's uh, deal. Yeah. There, there are some, like, I, I don't know the, I don't have like scientific results behind it, but there are some conventions in GraphQL that do help with like the related resource issue. So I mentioned like to get 10 posts in a REST API, I might end up doing 31 requests, right? We we do the one to get the 10 posts and then, you know, 10 to get the author, 10 to get the avatar, 10 to get the, you know, 
whatever uh the what was the last thing they mentioned or whatever so the that's called like the n plus one problem right you make right. The one request and then you have n requests to follow up to get the related resources with graphql since you make the one request and you can specify those relationships there's a pattern on the server uh called data loader that can help avoid that problem on the server as well so uh, if I if I say I want from a GraphQL request ten posts with the author, the image, and uh, the author avatar, right? What's going to happen? It's called deferred resolution. So as the server processes, it will talk to the database and say, "Hey, I need the ten posts." But then instead of doing a for each loop and say for each ten posts, give me the author. So that'd be get author one and then get author two. It'll say get all ten authors at once. So it'd be one request to get the 10 posts, one request to get the 10 authors, one request to get the 10 images, one request to get the uh, 10 avatars, right? So you'd end up with four requests instead of 31. Let's uh, let's talk WP GraphQL specifically and, and the plugin and all of this. One thing that uh, occurs to me is when I'm building, like if I'm building a custom post type or, or something like that, I have to go into... Uh, the code and make sure I have if I'm using ACF there's a checkbox for it if I'm doing vanilla code you have to make sure like show in rest is set to true what what is the sort of hiding and exposing process like for getting content that I'm making in WordPress exposed to the API or not yeah uh pretty similar to that um so if you have a if you if you have post type like houses for example you register post type houses there's three fields you have to specify to expose it to graphql one is showing graphql if you set that to true and then you give it a graphql single name and a graphql plural name if you specify if you specify those three fields then you will get your your type exposed to the graph and you'll get a lot of things in in your schema for that you'll get a root entry point so you'd be able to query how a house individually by id You'd be able to query a list of houses and you'd be able to filter it by, you know, various arguments. Um, you'd also get mutations for that, which do respect uh, whatever capabilities you define for your post type in WordPress. So when you register a type, you can specify uh, what what user privileges are required to edit it, create it, delete it, right. things like that. And so WP GraphQL will respect those, but it'll add it to the schema like create house, update house, delete house, mutations. Um, so you'll get all of this stuff added to the graph um, as well as connections to any taxonomies you might have. Like let's say you registered a custom taxonomy called neighborhoods, right? Or something like that. And you could have a house connected to a neighborhood, right? You'd be able to query both of those things in GraphQL um, and find out what neighborhoods have which houses or which houses are connected to which neighborhood things like that um so yeah it's just three fields on taxonomies or post types and then there's a slew of helper api functions you can call like register graphql field if you want to register your own field to any type in the graph um you can do that and then there's a like register graphql connection so if you were wanted to connect two types of data um like Houses and neighborhoods, for example, I do that for you. If there's a post type of taxonomy, like the code just does it. But maybe you had a custom database table, for example, you were using, um, 
And if you're doing something with custom database tables, WordPress usually doesn't know about it natively. So you could register connection yourself uh, using the register connection, register GraphQL connection, and then you could define how to connect something in WordPress to this other thing. It could even be remote data, right? Like you could you could write a connection that actually goes and gets data from a third-party REST API, for example, and uh, and connects it back. Like discuss comments, for example. Like if you wanted to have comments come from a third party instead of native WordPress, you could do that if you wanted. So mix and match, yeah. Yeah. Um, and what about like, of course, the elephant in the room in terms of like Gutenberg. If I'm making like custom blocks, my normal approach would be to think, well, I'm just going to write a block and I'll have it use the REST API. But if I'm needing to build custom blocks, either pull in other content or like to, to reference content or things like that, there's no reason I couldn't, as long as I'm using your plugin along with it, I could use GraphQL to then create a custom block on my site, right? Uh, yes and no. Uh, so Gutenberg's a loaded topic when it comes to APIs. Um, <laughs> I wrote a I wrote a pretty lengthy blog post about this on it's on wpgraphql.com's blog uh, back in like March. Um, it, so the so Gutenberg for folks that don't know what Gutenberg is, it's a block based page builder page editor um, that was brought into WordPress. What, like two years, two or three years we're ago? Right at, yeah, right at um, two years, I think, give or take. Yeah. Um, yeah, as a two, yeah. Anyway, so it's this, it's a, it's a React based application that lets you kind of drag and drop your content as blocks. So you have like a paragraph block, an image block, a heading block, and you can compose your pages with these blocks. Uh, you can also build your own blocks, right? Like galleries or like whatever you're doing. Um, so you can build your own blocks. Uh, the problem when it comes to APIs in WordPress, so WordPress has the REST API built in and it has um, not built in, well, it does have XML API as well built in. And then there's a tool called WPCLI. So like there's a mm -hmm. CLI interface. It's not built in, but it's essentially is. Natively um, it's supported. A, it's a tool. Yeah, exactly. It's a tool to interact over CLI. All of these APIs don't know anything about Gutenberg blocks because Gutenberg blocks are fully JavaScript and WordPress is PHP. And so when you register post types or taxonomies, you register them in PHP, you describe what they are and who can interact with them, right? I mentioned the capabilities, for example, you can say who's allowed to write, edit, delete a post type. Gutenberg blocks don't exist. The server doesn't really know much about Gutenberg blocks. Um, and so for APIs like the REST API, for WP GraphQL, for CLI, for XML RPC API, they don't really know anything about blocks. Um, and so it's a little problematic um, currently. There are some solutions. So I, the blog post I mentioned, um, there's one plugin called WP GraphQL for Gutenberg. And when you install that, it gives you a settings page and you can basically index the Gutenberg schema. So what happens, it loads up Gutenberg in an iframe, since it's all JavaScript, and then it gets all the blocks that JavaScript knows about, sends, the, sends that block list back down to the server, saves it in the database, and then it maps it to GraphQL. Um, and then you can, you can query the data that way. Um, so I've been, I've been working, I have a issue on uh, the Gutenberg <laughs> GitHub repo from, I think, 2017. Uh, 
about why the lack of a server registry in Gutenberg is problematic. And uh, it's issue 2751, if you're curious. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> not, not that you've memorized it, no, right? <laughs> but uh, I kinda, I've kind of wrote a book about this because as soon as I heard about Gutenberg, I was like, oh, this is cool. This is exciting. Like, I think GraphQL would actually pair very well with it. Uh, but the way it's been architected to this point makes it very difficult for server APIs to do meaningful stuff with it. Maybe um, hard hard to query into, but maybe better for seeing out of, so to speak, which is my way of saying, like, let's say I wanted to make a block to, and I, I'm going to just absolutely spitball this, but let's say I want to have a block that shows, let's say, an Amazon product that I'm talking about. And I assume Amazon probably has a GraphQL API out there. I've never oh, looked. Could, yeah. <laughs> but, but I could have a block, and but the, the block itself could use GraphQL to talk out yeah. and say, I'm going to go get yeah. this data so when the page loads, it will load the current price yeah. and title on the item. Yeah, def- yeah it definitely can. Um, I did a, I did a Word, WordCamp talk about this. Uh, WordCamp is like the WordPress conference. Um, I did one, I think it was 2018 WordCamp US. I did a talk about using GraphQL to build Gutenberg blocks. So uh, yeah, I, w- I was thinking about this the opposite way like how can i query blocks if you want to build a block and use graphql on the client as users are interacting with blocks uh that's definitely possible i have a talk on that i show how um in my case you still use wp graphql in my example but you can you can look it up on uh, wordpress.tv just search my name and you'll find it it's wordcamp 2018 it's like called gutenberg graphql and government or something um let me let's talk about like the elephant in the room. Um, and this is just a curiosity <laughs> to me and I've, I've heard other people talk about it, but I feel like you are the one to absolutely answer this question, which is, is will we see GraphQL maybe end up like as a native WordPress thing at some point? Like right now we have the rest API, the rest API comes in for free. Um, GraphQL is a plugin for us at this point. And there's a lot of discussion about, you know, the kind of things that end up in core versus end up in a plugin. Yeah. Is this something that you envision will probably always be plugin related or do you envision maybe getting it into core and why or why not? If you've got a personal preference one way or the other. Yeah, um, it's tough. I think there's a lot of value it could add to 40 plus percent of the Internet if it were core. Um problem with wordpress core those like when typically when things get merged into wordpress core innovation stops gutenberg is like the one exception like there's bugs with the rest api rest api i think was merged in 2016 and there's bugs that are yet to be fixed with it right um because once once you say hey 43 percent of the web you have this new shiny thing it's very difficult to change something for 43 percent of the web yeah um, so right now you as can't a plugin, risk breaking, you can't risk breaking yeah. that stuff. Right. And so as a plugin, like we're still able to iterate and, and fix mistakes we've made with, and then you get opt into the version that works for you. Right. Um, so I'm only, I'm, I mean, I can obviously make breaking changes, but you can opt into the version that was working for you at any time. Right. Um, without having to change everything in your system. Um, so I think, I think plugin makes sense for a lot of reasons. Um, uh, one for the speed of iteration, like we can still ship features and sometimes make breaking changes and 
you get opt into what version works for you, which is nice. That's the cool. other part is GraphQL is evolving at a different pace and without regard to WordPress, right? So the GraphQL language and specification uh, has changes coming as well, right? Um, there's features we want that don't exist in GraphQL today, but hopefully will soon. And we want to take advantage of those when they come. If GraphQL were merged into WordPress core today, it would be the version of GraphQL that is there today. And so while the rest of the world moves on to GraphQL 2 or whatever it might be, um, we'd be stuck with whatever it is today because, again, it's very difficult to (laughs) change 43% of the web. So uh, I think there's a lot of advantages of, of keeping it a plugin. And if it benefits your project, Go install it. It's a click away. Um, if it doesn't benefit your project, ignore it. Right? Like, it's, it doesn't have to be for everybody. Um, in the plugin repo, right? Yeah, it's in WordPress.org. You can get it on GitHub if you're interested in like developing and contributing back. It's on GitHub. If you use Composer, which is like NPM for PHP, um, it's like a package dependency manager library. Uh, it's on packages.org, which is Composer's version of NPM. So you can get it from composer get it from wordpress.org from your admin of your wordpress site or github awesome well i'm looking forward to seeing what's coming next i'm looking forward to seeing what's gonna happen with that subscribe stuff because i'm telling you right now i'm already moving a bunch of little cogs (laughs) rusty old uh, cogs in my head um yeah folks i want you to sit down for just one second though and hear this message from our sponsors If you've been enjoying this episode of the Drunken UX podcast, folks, I really cannot stress enough that you should go check out Tella. Um, Aaron, I don't know about you, but I'm always having to do things like train, whether that's content editors, um, you know, set up stuff for onboarding new developers, things like that. I ha- I haven't had to do that in a while, but I did I did have to do that previously though, and being able to do a screencast, especially for things that are like very easy to understand if you can see them but not yeah, so easy yeah. to describe them with words because we, we use different jargon to kind of uh, describe things than a common user might use. And everybody learns differently, right? Mm-hmm. Some And over COVID, we've learned a lot of this as well. Like <laughs> some people work differently and yeah, some are very visual, some are very uh, uh, oral, 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 uh, hearing focused, yeah. things like that. You know, talking about sending screenshots doesn't always clue people in because they can't see things in space. Mm-hmm. Um, or even, you know, on Twitter, you know, you're wanting to sh- show off like, hey, look at this cool thing I built. Or, hey, brand, you screwed this up and I want to show you how broken it is. <laughs> I'm not naming any names. Tella is an awesome resource for that. If you go to tella.com.tv slash ducks um, or tella.com slash ducks. Uh, you can go in there. They have a browser-based screen recorder lets you share or showcase anything you're building, anything you're working on. Um, but the cool part about it is it'll capture your screen. Mm-hmm. It'll capture the camera. It'll capture slides if you're showing a slide deck. And it makes them into a, a nice video where you can manage the layout, change your backgrounds, do whatever. And it's literally point and click. This is the easiest. As somebody who's used a lot of other screen capture softwares over the last few years, this thing is freaking fantastic. The The tool itself, though, is really great. See, whether you're, you know, send it to your teammates, send it to, you know, somebody who's following you on Twitter and they're asking mm-hmm. about something you're doing. 
Um, run by them, check them out, let them know that Drunken UX sent uh, sent you over there. It's tella.com slash ducks. T-E-L-L-A. Dot com slash D-U-X. Not to be confused with duck typing. <laughs> you are on something tonight, man. <laughs> Rum. <laughs> Jason, man, thank you so much. Uh, I would say for staying up late with us, and even though it feels late because it is so dark out this time of year, it's not actually that late, so I don't feel that bad. But I know it's asking a lot for anybody to come on and and try to eat dinner and jump on here with us. Mm -hmm. Take the microphone for a second. Tell everybody where they can find you, what you got going on, and anything else that you want them to know about you. Uh, Yeah, sure. So you can find me. I'm on Twitter a lot uh, at Jason Ball, J-A-S-O-N-B-A-H-L. Also at WP GraphQL. So both of those handles on Twitter. Um, Lots of content about, you know, GraphQL, dad jokes, air fried pizza, you know, (laughs) stuff like that. Um, So, yeah, you can find me there. WPGraphQL.com. Also, um, there's a website for the project. GitHub, uh, GitHub is uh, WP-GraphQL um, is the organization. Uh, you can find, we got the main plugin there, and then there's some extension plugins and whatnot up there as well. Uh, WordPress.org, you can find the plugin repository. You can find us on there as well. Um, I do have a YouTube channel for WP-GraphQL as well. Uh, post just random stuff, like here and there it's not like super frequent content but cool if it is something it's uh beneficial probably <laughs> uh well uh if you uh would like to hear more about wp graphql or discuss it with us or just talk about it or talk about anything else at all come and chat with us at twitter or facebook.com slash drunken ux or at instagrams.com slash drunken ux podcast or come and talk with us at drunken ux.com slash discord and if you really like transcripts and you get onto that accessibility train and want to have like the whole text transcript to make this show more accessible to people, come and support us at patreon.com slash drunkenux. Or if you'd like to stay at our turf, uh, you can come get us at drunkenux.com slash support. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. The, the only thing that that uh, comes to mind, too, is, you know, GraphQL is useful for a lot of things, and it solves, I think, a lot of problems. Um, I think it's important to emphasize that, you know, pick the right tool for the right job. There are a lot of cases where REST APIs work just fine. Um, And Aaron, you were, you know, talking about uh, performance and stuff earlier. And a Mm -hmm. a lot of this is going to come down to, like, you're not going to necessarily see a huge performance boost in your React app or something or your Vue uh, application by switching between REST or, or Graph, it's going to be what you're comfortable with, what you're used to writing or what makes sense to you. And choose the thing that either <laughs> fits the role or fits the language, or in your case, Aaron, is documented well. <laughs> yeah, and Jason, I just want to say, like, I, I know I challenged you on some points and it, it's nothing personal. I think the product's awesome. I would like to learn more about GraphQL and I think it's really cool. Um, I... I I was just asking questions and not trying to antagonize it, it, anything. So it's all good, man. It sounds, Aaron, like your, <laughs> your biggest complaint is that uh, GraphQL at its heart. I had a bad, I had a bad first experience. Yeah, well, yeah, and that will color you yeah. on any on any language. Yeah. Um, but it sounds like really what the the complaint is. Um, and if you can solve this, Jason, I don't know. But 
Um, if if GraphQL can help you keep your personas close, but your <laughs> users closer. Bye bye. <laughs>